January 11th, 2024, and we are underway on this hour of Flames Talk. Welcome to our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's uh, Steinberg and Wes Gilbert to the Post Media for you this hour. And uh, we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Wes. You know, Pat, what it is? Not happy Thursday. You know what it is? It's flipping cold out there. Yeah, that's... uh... And it's only going to get colder. I wait for that. I rocked the toque until the very minute I had to put these headphones on. I luckily have been outside for a grand total of about 47 seconds so far today. That's so fair. I've uh, been able to mitigate the cold fairly well, but about 20 minutes ago, it hit me. For, like I went outside for the first time all day because I've been yeah. able to go parking garage to parking garage. And instantly, you're like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. Take your breath away out cold. there. Um... Well, the Flames are in Arizona, and it is not bombing in Arizona, but it also isn't here. Um, So that is better than being here. The Flames, when they play the Arizona Coyotes on Thursday night, will kick off the second half of their season. 41 games in the books, and uh, they are already into the second half of the season. Now, they are one of the faster teams to the second half of the season. There are plenty of teams in this playoff fight with them that have uh, fewer games played, and a few of them have significantly fewer games played, like the team they're immediately chasing, the Edmonton Oilers, who have four games in hand on them right Right. now. Um, Which sort of answers the question I've been asking all day, which is how did we get through the first half of the season already? I know. But they it's went, because the, went quick. the schedule has really been nonstop. How many times Calgary have we players? talked about four and six or three right. and four? Like they have had a lot of uh, really like condensed stretches and, and a, they haven't had a ton of extended periods of and a ton time of off. road hockey. So yes. Far. Jeez, and they have been away a lot. Now they do kick off a six game homestand on Tuesday to lead them into the all-star break, which uh, will give them a good opportunity to uh, maybe uh, make some hay on home ice. But here we are. Midway through the season, and on Wednesday's roundtable, we talked a, a little bit about the first half of the year. But uh, let's let's see when I get into it, because there's a lot to, to dive into. It's always fun to do a little first half in review and figure out what we've learned. What have we learned through 41 games? What do we still need to learn in the next 41 games? And and I guess the first question I would ask you right now, and, and I would uh, love the text line to jump in on this as well at 960-960, because, you know, some of these things may be more obvious than other things, but um, different different questions. MVP, biggest story, biggest surprise, things like that. Let's dive into them right now. Who would, uh, who would Wes Gilbertson's first half of the season most valuable player be for me it's it's Jacob Markstrom and one of the questions coming into this flame season was how would Jacob Markstrom bounce back from what was such a a frustrating campaign a year ago I think Jacob Markstrom has done nothing to leave that question unanswered this this is a guy whose regular stats should be better than they are based on the way He's playing whose analytics, you know, goals saved above expected, 
high danger save percentage, th- those sort of numbers, if you dig a little deeper, I think provide an even better example or, or even better evidence of, of how well Jacob Markstrom has been playing throughout the season. And, and we've seen that we've seen that start to be reflected more and more since he returned from his fractured finger. We've seen even the the sort of generic stats, his goals against average, his save percentage really start to look the way that you would have expected. I think that early skid could have included a few blowout losses, if not for the way Jacob Markstrom played. And and I think since then, he's just ensured that every time he starts his team, and this sounds so cliche, but every time 25 is in net, this team has a chance to win a hockey. And for that reason, and I'm curious now to hear who your pick is, but for that reason, Jacob Markstrom's my first half MVP. Well, and and I wrote down uh, two on because uh, I, I have the I have another sheet that you don't have in front of you. Oh, right? a cheat sheet. Um, just was, with, is with that, my answer is that bold? Oh yeah, I bolded this one. Whoo! I didn't I didn't not know you uh, you oh. were capable of that type of formatting. Control B, baby. I know <laughs> I I know how to bold something. Um. I have two names down, and the first name that I have down is not Jacob Markstrom. He's the second name that I have down. Um, I And I just have asked myself, I've asked this out loud, I've asked this to myself, and, and the reason that I lean slightly away from Jacob Markstrom, and not because you didn't make any good points, because he's the other guy there for me, but I just asked myself so many times, where would this team be this year without Blake Coleman? And, yeah. and I just, with all that he's done and... When, when the team needs something good to happen, it feels like more often than not, it's number 20. And he leads the team in goals. He And I know he's got four empty netters, but he leads the team in goals. Those empty netters can sometimes be important. Let, let me jump in for a second, because I asked him about the empty netters yesterday. And his response, and, and I love this, and, and so I'll share it with listeners. His response was, well... Yeah, there's no goalie there, but you're icing a win. Every time you get an empty netter, you've just iced a win. Yep. It's a pretty good explanation. Yeah, I think that you're happy to get them. It means that you you don't score a lot of empty netters and losses. So yeah. those those but are But the boys wins. are all over them. Well, still 17 goals. Yeah. How about have more than him? Uh, so he's got 17 <laughs> goals. He's tied for the team lead with 32 points. But I think about how he has spent some time on the power play. He has played a huge role on the penalty kill. This team's danger level and the fact that you know that they're always a threat to do something shorthanded is, I think, driven by Blake Coleman more than anybody else right now. That includes Elias Lindholm and Michael Backlund, who have been great in that regard. I just, so many times coming out of games, wins or losses, I've said to myself, man, where would this group be without Blake Coleman this year? And for me, and and, and I've also asked that about Jacob Markstrom too, and, and I think that is very fair. That's why those are the two candidates for me. And I just have maybe asked that question more about Blake this year. And um, I give him a ton of credit yeah. for, you know, I, I, I I know that he's talked about it, and I appreciate when a guy takes a challenge on for himself, says, hey, I'm going to be even more of a factor this year. I'm going to be, I, I, I want to be more of an impact maker offensively this year. I know that's one of the things he challenged himself with in the offseason, and he's gone out and met that challenge and is on pace for the best numbers of his career by a significant margin. Yeah, and I, you know what? I'm glad that you answered Blake Cohen because the first three questions we have listed down here, first half MVP, biggest story, biggest surprise. I consider Blake Coleman for all three of them. 
and, and ultimately he's not my answer for any of those three. But I think the fact that he was one of the first names to pop into my mind for all three of those categories yeah. really speaks to what a terrific first half it was for Blake Coleman. A couple of texts. We'll uh, let, uh, jump in on the text line on any of these questions. We'd love to have you if you're listening live at 960-960. This says Blake Coleman, first half MVP goals, defensive play, and leadership. That comes from Steve. This says Blake Coleman's the guy leading the team in goals, plays shorthanded minutes, strong defensively. He's been a monster. I love Markstrom's play so far, but I feel like Coleman has been the leader for the team in a lot of big moments. This says Jacob equals MVP. Pretty bad considering where he sits overall in the NHL. Look at the top goalies in the league. No comparison. They win games. And uh, this says without Blake, uh, they would be second last in the lead. I don't know what that means, but um, I think that I think means... that was supposed to be league. Oh, second last in the league. Yeah, ah, thank you. Yeah, I'm usually pretty good at deciphering text. Yeah, but that one I that's didn't. A, that's a little bit of hyperbole, but uh, you're not wrong about Blake Coleman's impact. And you're also not wrong about Jacob Markstrom's impact. And uh, I, I do think that um, I, I do think that his numbers do not necessarily, and they're decent, especially with where save percentages are overall in the NHL. But some of the more underlying numbers really point to just how good uh, Jacob has been this year. I like this one. Uh, from a fan perspective, I think the MVP could be Connor Zary just due to the fact that he's one of the only players that you could get excited about when he has the puck and know he's going to make a play. You know, the fact that he has jump-started Calgary's offense in such a way and, and the fact that him jumping into the lineup at the beginning of November really has given them a, a different octane level with their offense. You can make an argument for Connor Zary. I didn't yeah. have him write him down, written down rather, but Connor Zary, I think, is 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 actually not, and that would be maybe why he qualifies in one of these other categories. But right, I, I don't think anybody would have been able to predict that he would be. You you could have that conversation and not be like, no, no, that's not. Come on, you're getting ahead of yourself. That's he's been that important for him. Well, and maybe that's a good transition for us because that's exactly what I'd written down here for the biggest story of the first half of the season is the emergence of, of Connor Zary. And not just the fact that he's now back up to 0.68 points per game, which is second among all NHL rookies, but just what his arrival meant to a team that was in a funk, what his arrival meant to Nazem Kadri, who was off to a, a fairly awful start, numbers especially, what yeah. what his arrival has just meant in, in terms of having a guy who looks like he wants the puck on his stick in, in the big moments. That's something that's been missing for the the Calgary Flames. And so the biggest story is, quite frankly, one that I didn't grapple with at all. I, I think the emergence of Connor Zary is by far the biggest storyline of the first half of the season for the Flames. So that is your uh, that is your biggest story, yeah, Absolutely, is, is Connor yeah. Zary's emergence. Um, you? J- just Well, I'll read a few more texts okay. and then we'll get in there because I think... I, I think that that is very, very fair because it has been a huge story. Um, this says, uh, Blake Coleman's definitely my team MVP, does everything this team needs him to, and then some. Um, this says, uh, I personally like Blake Coleman and Mackenzie Weger for MVP. Um, the skaters have been so inconsistent this season that I'm going to have to lean on the best aspect of the team this year, which is goaltending and more specifically Jacob Markstrom. Shockingly, I think I've been more impressed with him this season than his Vesna candidate year, where I thought the performance was more of a product of the system. 
Uh, so the, And this says, uh, from an ownership perspective, it has to be Zary for MVP. Without the young guys, where would be the fan interest? There's just a few more texts at 960-960. Okay. You, you, by the way, are getting almost too good at reading talk to text. I know. Like, some of this, I, I feel like I'm reading in my second language, and, and you're just cruising through it. It's it's a little bit of experience it's a gift from this text line. It's not a gift that I have. Like, there could be other gifts that I could use that could help the world much, much more. Well, you got bolding now, and... Uh, yeah, I can do control B. Next, I'll learn underline. Let, uh, let's hear Pat Steinberg's biggest story. So of the your first biggest half. story is Connor Zary. Yeah. Mine is a slightly more negative one because okay. the biggest story for me remained. And, and, you know, as we get the second half going Thursday night, it actually feels like maybe there is some momentum for this story to go from negative to positive. But it's Jonathan Huberto's offensive struggles once again. Um, through 41 games, he is well under a point per game. Through 41 games, he's on pace for a lower point total than he put up last year. Huberto at 21 points in 41 games, and that's with six points in his last six. Uh, prior to that, over 35 games, he had 15 points in 35 games. Uh, and and it just, knowing that this is year one of his contract, knowing the expectations that went along with the trade that was made in July, 2022. Um, is that right? July, 2022. Yeah. Uh, knowing, knowing what the, you know, knowing, knowing what the player means to the organization and what him being really good or struggling means to the organization. The fact that it got worse. And, and one of the summer narratives was, Working with the mental skills coach, you're feeling like he he is outwardly talking and and exuding a different type of air about him at training camp, and then it goes the way that it has gone here. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be the biggest story because there is nothing I want more than for you know w- when you constantly talk about a negative story and that is one of the constant narratives on your text line or your phone calls post game or whatever it's nice for one of those negative storylines to turn and maybe it is turning but through the first half of the season I have to go with with Huberto's struggles as as my number one story absolutely fair and and remains one of the biggest questions moving forward because what we're asking a year and a half into Jonathan Huberto's stint with the Calgary Flames and more perhaps importantly or more to the point six months into his franchise record contract extension what we're constantly asking is is this now Jonathan Huberto is this now what Jonathan Huberto is as a player is it too are we too far gone now to suggest this is an extended slump that this is something that he's going to snap out of and and maybe here with six points in his past six games we're starting to see some reason to be encouraged that perhaps there is more there and perhaps in the second half of the season he could produce closer to that point per game standard that I I think we expect from him but right now talking about a guy who's going to be collecting a cap hit of 10.5 million for the next seven seasons beyond this one one of the questions (laughs) and, and a reason that it's a great choice for you as the biggest story. One of the questions is, is this it? Like, is is this now? Is this what he is? Is this now Jonathan Huberdeau? Now, I have liked him much better of late. 
Uh, six points in his last six games. Yeah, I feel where, where maybe I feel the most encouraged about what I'm seeing from Huberdeau is the fact that um, he is making plays that are a little bolder and doing it with a little bit more authority. And and that's just a uh, that's just a, a visual thing. I don't know if that's actually happened. I don't know if there's any empirical or analytical number to prove that, but it just feels like when he makes a. Uh, low percentage pass, but he and decides to make it. He does it with more authority, and thus you're seeing some of those low percentage passes turn into right. completed passes. And and that's what he's very good at. He makes a low percentage pass end up on your stick, end up on your tape. That's one of his number one attributes. And I don't know. I'm just seeing him make them on a, in a more. Um, and maybe there's a little confirmation bias going on there because the points are coming, but. Ever since he got put back with Lindholm, it feels like there's just a little bit more authority with his game, and and the numbers are there to back it up at least over the last six games. So I hope for his sake that this is a trend because I really do want this guy to succeed. I really do want this to turn into a far more positive story going forward. Let, let me just add an anecdote that I think reinforces what you're talking about, the sort of authority that he's playing with the the confidence to take some of those offensive risks that he wasn't necessarily not taking, but he certainly, they were coming back to bite him in the, you know what, up until six games ago, I I actually chatted with Jonathan yesterday. And one of the comments I made that he agreed with was, I actually thought one of the best passes he's made this season was in Chicago to Elias Lindholm on the goal that ultimately gets disallowed in the first period. It, it doesn't, ultimately show up on the score sheet but to get that pass through two defenders and right on the blade of Elias Lindholm's stick at the doorstep was sort of what we all want to believe is vintage Jonathan Huberto and that pass for me is an encouraging sign of a guy who's finally starting he talked about getting some swagger back and as it turned out it didn't translate onto the ice maybe now we're starting to see just a just a touch, just a smidge of swagger again. It's your biggest surprise. So, so far, by the way, we're just uh, rolling through the first half of the season. First half MVP for Wes, Jacob Markstrom, for me, Blake Coleman. We have not, uh, by the way, uh, we haven't seen one another's answers, so uh, we are not choosing different ones for the sake of having different things to talk about. If we're on the same page with one another, we'll be on the same page with one another. But uh, biggest story for Wes is Connor Zary's emergence. Biggest story of the first half for me, Jonathan Huberdeau's struggles offensively. What about your biggest surprise so far all I wrote down here is a name and that's Martin Pospisil a guy who I didn't even blink when he went on the waiver wire to go back to the minors prior to this season he's he's a guy that wasn't on my radar and I know he stuck around a while at training camp but I didn't see a whole lot of reason to believe that Martin Pospisil was going to be an NHL factor, let alone an NHL factor this season. Yeah. And so while I expected that we'd see Connor Zary, and while I'm surprised by the immediate offensive impact of Connor Zary, the biggest surprise for me is Martin Pospisil, because this is a player who I've really started to believe has a, a long runway he's going to be a big part of the future at the saddle moment and there's going to be some growing pains and you know I know some people didn't agree with my take on this the other night on on his interference penalty you know I I don't think as 
Martin Pospisil figures out how to play that agitator role, I I think he's going to have to walk a very fine line in terms of penalties. After he went barreling the other night into Eunice Corpusallo, ends up getting a, a face full of butt end of a stick, you knew the refs were going to be watching him closely. He'd been in the middle of everything, and I didn't think personally he could afford to put his team in a spot with that interference penalty. They ultimately give up a power play goal. There's going to be some nights where... And people didn't like that opinion? People didn't think it should have been a penalty, apparently. Wait, you level level a guy 10 feet away from the puck? I can't speak for the people. I, I, just, I thought I knew the NHL rule book. That, to yeah. me, seemed like a textbook interference call. I, I thought it was a really easy call, but not everyone agreed. Anyways, doesn't matter. Hey, I'm uh, learning all the time, Wes. I'm here to learn all the time. There's going to be some some growing pains in terms of that agitator role. I'm not sure as you project what the Flames could look like if they could build a contender. He's not a second-line player. He's more of a bottom-six guy. But in terms of almost found money as an NHLer, he's been my biggest surprise. Um I told you if we were unanimous that we would be unanimous. I, I I didn't see it coming either. Is is Connor's area a surprise? Yes, absolutely. Is Blake Coleman a surprise? Yes, absolutely. But I think we we knew that Blake Coleman had offense. He scored 20 in this league before. And so the level of surprise as to what I thought as to what we're seeing is smaller with Coleman. And we knew that Connor Zary had a high level of skill and at some point have the opportunity to impact this team's offense in a big way. The biggest surprise is how quickly it's come and the immediacy of it. But again, the level of surprise lower. I, You know, there, there's been a couple of people that have told me over the last number of years that, you know, we, we still really think there's something there with Martin Pospisil. And I always said to myself, Okay, I, I don't. Yeah, I. Hey, you you know you're you're employed to do this. I'm not, but I'm not. I don't know what you're seeing. I'll be perfectly honest. I I I didn't see it. And not only has he shown that you know he's not out of place in the NHL, he's shown he can put up decent ish numbers for yeah. his role. But what I'm and- really impressed with is how he's you know even even with the interference call that I agree was a silly penalty. I just, I love the fact that more often now we're seeing other teams like he is public enemy number one. Oh, yeah. And, and like the Ottawa Senators wanted to, they, they wanted to kill Martin Pospisil in, in a hockey way, but they wanted to get at Martin Pospisil. Yeah. They, they, like they were Brady, at his Brady throat. Kachuk was livid with him Kachuk a few times. Chuck was pissed. Corpusala was pissed. Um, a few other players, like, the he he takes and and you know what sometimes he goes over the line and sometimes you're like eh, that was a little silly that might get you the, the 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 ire of the department of player safety might be honing in on you hasn't happened yet yeah. this uh this regular season but him walking the line is and a guy that walks the line like he does I haven't really had it's, anything like it you know the, it's the such guy, an asset you know it the really guy is. that it reminds me of most it's not Matthew Kachuk. It's it's and it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been twenty years, but it's hospital hockey. It's it's Billy Neiman and man, like oh, that that played. guy, that guy chipped in here and there with offense, and he did it with a ve- like the things that he did yeah. that pissed off other teams. The other part was it that like 
it pissed him off, and yet he was still a very likable human being. Yeah. Like, he, Please he never... tell me you remember the hospital hockey quote. I, oh, absolutely. Okay. I did. No, as soon as you said it, I'm like, okay, he's on the same page. Yeah. That stupid Neiman and Smile had like people want, like, like we, but then yeah. you couldn't dislike the and guy. Martin Pospisil's got a little bit of that smirk going on, too. He does. And yet he also is a very likable guy. And he goes, he's not, and I say this in the most endearing way possible. He's not smarmy like Matthew was. Mm-hmm. Math- and that smarm is part of Matthew Kachuk's effectiveness and why he is an elite hockey player. So that I don't say that in a derogatory way, but he does it in a more smarmy, like, I know what I'm doing, and I am getting an, a vast amount of enjoyment out yeah. of what I'm doing. I was we're, we're, Here we are on J- J- January 11th, 2024. We are four years removed from uh, exactly four years removed from if you don't want to get hit, stay off the tracks. That was January 11th, (laughs) 2020. And you know, Matthew Kachuk, I I remember watching that video and Mm -hmm. that little smarmy smile. And he knew exactly what he was about to say and knew exactly what it was going to do to the entire city. That whole next road trip was bananas because we went to Toronto next and Cassian had had his say was Kind of leading into the All Star game. Oh, remember I've got twelve goals. I uh, congratulations, Zach. Twelve goals. One of my favorite quotes of all time. I, yeah, I, he said I'm a fourth line player. I got twelve goals this year. Okay, Zach. Okay, continue. Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the production from Martin Pospisil because it's a huge part of the surprise and and it's important to note that it's not like we're not talking about just sort of throw in secondary assists. Like we've seen some really, really high skilled plays. I think of the finish after the Nazem Kadri bounce pass leads to a breakaway on home ice, the way he finished that playoff with a patient deke. And then I think to, (laughs) would it have been Thursday in Nashville that he makes that terrific play along the boards to spring Jonathan Huberto on a breakaway? Was that in Nashville? Yes, yes, it was. Like, just a really, really good, smart, but also high-talent play along the board. So Martin Pospisil, for me, and apparently for you, has been just a huge surprise for this I did not see it coming. When they recalled Zeri, I was like, okay. When they recalled Pospisil, I was like, okay. And good on Craig Conroy and and Ray Edwards and, and the rest of the scouting and development and hockey ops crew. They saw something. I'm glad that they saw something I didn't. That means that we're in good positions. That means that we're yeah. properly slotted in our jobs. Do you uh, you want to read a few texts before we do biggest disappointment? Yes, absolutely. Um, this on the surprise. Um, how about Yegor Sharangovich as a surprise? Uh, this says my biggest surprise was the departure of Big Z. The way he handled himself at the start of the year made me think he was going to be locked in long term. Um, this says biggest story for me is that they're actually in the playoff picture despite the start, but in the Pacific, um, it's the starts of the Oilers and Canucks exactly opposite of what I thought would happen this season. That is from uh, Jerry on Vancouver Island. Uh, this says Zeri from Mike Zeri and hospital hospital rather by far the biggest surprises for me. Didn't know squat about the Wranglers and the flames current prospects, but they've been so impactful and in lots of ways, Zeri and Kadri's chemistry fixed the team slotting, which was shocking. Just goes to show that Todd button and co are the best part of this organization. This says with you guys talking about hospital, 
skill. He really reminds me of a Garnet Hathaway or even a current Lance Boma type player, just with his competitive nature and getting under the skin of different opponents. Um, this says Pospisil reminds me a lot of what Furland could bring to a lineup as well. Yeah, and and a little less. Uh, he's probably a, a, got a little less thickness than any of those other guys, like Lance Boma and. Garnet Hathaway and Michael Furland were built a little bit differently in terms of, you know, not necessarily taller players, but they they were certainly more kind of power forward dimensions. Martin Pospisil, it's funny when you see him in the locker room, like he's he's not the biggest not huge. guy, you know, he's a pretty wiry player, but man, he plays big. And that's why I love the Billy Neiman in reference, not just because I wanted to hospital think hockey. back to the hospital hockey quote, but I, I, I absolutely agree. Like the smirk and the ability to kind of skate away from a chaotic scene that you've created with that little grin on your face. Martin Pospisil's got a lot of that in him. Um, quickly, before we hit the round table, what's your biggest question from the first half as uh, we enter the second half of the season now? You know, I went a couple different ways with this, but, uh, I think my my biggest question still is how do they handle Dustin Wolf's development from this Ooh. point forward? And I know that this is Ooh, a, I like this it. is a drum that I've beat on before, but I you know I mentioned earlier that Jacob Markstrom's my team MVP. I I do believe there will be some trade interest in him, and, and so perhaps they they go that direction. I want to see how they're going to work in more Dustin Wolf. I it remains and the obvious let, let's yes the obvious the, one is what's going to happen when with we the talked UFAs. about this we said okay other than the obvious i should have is, i should have prefaced it with other than the obvious right. questions about the pending ufas what's the biggest question that remains the biggest question but i think number two for me is how how do they continue to handle dustin wolf's development another ahl all-star nod no indication from my vantage point in his four starts that he's not ready to be a full-time nhler what now you? How many more young players are we going to see between now and the end of the regular season? Because that is another one of the big stories for me is how Craig Conroy has, I, I think in, in some instances, gone out of his way yeah. to make sure that young players get an opportunity. And I know Matt Coronado got sent down, and I know Dustin Wolf still isn't here. You know, I know Jan Kuznetsov's not going to play in Arizona, and Ilya Solovyov's kind of only had a very small cup of coffee so far, but in his chair, he's, I think, gone out of his way on a number of different occasions to make sure that guys at the very least get opportunities. And as some of these trade decisions are figured out as to whether or not guys are staying or going, we know there will be some exits, whether it's all of them or as many as Fan X or Pundit Y want to see. There will be exits between now and the trade deadline. There will probably be injuries between now and the end of the regular season. And then, depending on how the standings go, there may be games where it just is, is obvious they're not going to be a playoff team. Who knows? And, and hopefully, honestly, from a talking about the team all the time standpoint, I hope that's not the case because that sucks. It's really no fun to talk about that for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. We've done it before. I just want to see how many more players end up getting into this conversation. How do they get Coronado back in? How do they get Pelche in? How do they get Emilio Pedersen his first NHL game? Or Adam Klapka his first NHL game? Or Jeremy Poirier his first NHL game? Yeah, I was just going to ask you who would be on, on your kind of list because 
those are all good answers. I, I don't know how... I'm not really sure that Jeremy Poirier is potentially even going to be back. He may in not. He may not be able to be soon enough to do it. But yeah, and I, I, I want to see more of Matt Coronado. I want to see more of Dustin Wolf. I want to see more of Ilya Solovyov. I want to see Cole Schwint in a Calgary Flames jersey. Adam Klapka is a guy who deserves, I believe, to make his NHL debut this season. So I think there's going to be a bunch of them. It's a good question. There's your first half in review. 41 games down and starting Thursday night, 41 games to go for the Calgary Flames. Pat and Wes, this hour of Flames Talk from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Daily Flames Roundtable now on this Thursday. And it's brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes. From the Calgary Airport, Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson of Post Media, now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Gents want to talk about two individuals on the roundtable today. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau is the first. He has six points in his last six games as the Flames get ready to take on the Arizona Coyotes Thursday night. Is anything, anything different in Jonathan's game over this last six game stretch or are things just starting to show up on the score sheet? What have you gentlemen observed from number 10's game over the last couple of weeks here? Yeah, I think it's a little bit uh, of both to be honest, Pat. I mean, I don't think that he had a lot of puck luck last season or earlier this season. And there's an old saying, you make your own luck. What I am seeing is he's doing a better job moving his feet. Uh, He's played a little bit more physical brand of hockey. He's not going to be a guy who goes out there and throws thunderous body checks, but he's been more physical. He's done a better job getting to the hard areas, specifically to the front of his opponent's net. And he just looks like a more confident player right now. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the fact that he's had a little bit more puck luck and some of the plays that he's making are now getting finished where earlier in the season, he he made a lot of great plays where his teammates just didn't finish them off for him or for the team. So now that the puck's starting to go in for him and for his line mates and his teammates, I think he's still starting to feel it a little bit, but I think it's been a process for him to get there. He's put in the work. He's started to play the right way, and it's been good to see him start to get rewarded for that. I don't know big picture what six points in a six-game span means in terms of whether this is just a nice little streak or or maybe a point per game is, is going to start to be a more reasonable expectation again from Jonathan Huberdeau, but... I just see more confidence in him, and I I talked to him yesterday. I I know that he's felt better about his game going back to before New Year's Eve when when the points finally started to come. You know, he made a comment shortly before snapping those slumps that he didn't care if he got another point this season, and and what he meant by that is I have to stop thinking about the points. I'm going to get so frustrated if I focus on the offensive numbers and I just thought that was BS when he said it I I thought in terms of just the way he's valued himself as a player his whole career 
he couldn't block that out. And and I do believe since he snapped out of those skids, you know, no points in a dozen games, I believe it was no goals in 18. I think you can see that there's been a little bit of a weight lifted off his shoulders. You know, the, the finish on the breakaway goal was a very confident move. The pass, and Pat and I talked about it in the last segment, the pass that he made to Elias Lindholm on the goal that was ultimately disallowed in Chicago was one of the better setups I've seen from Jonathan Huberto this season. And so I think it's always easy. And and so maybe this is a cop-out on my part to talk about a guy who's finally getting rewarded on the score sheet and say, it looks like he's got a little more confidence, but boys, that is the biggest thing I notice right now. I think he needed that, I, I guess, weight off his shoulders. And we're finally starting to see him play with a little bit more offensive swagger as a result of that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know exactly where it began, gents, but, and, and, and Wilsey, Wes and I were, we were going through our, our first half in review and kind of like going through biggest surprise, biggest story, all those types of things of the first half of the season. And my biggest story was the offensive struggles of Jonathan Huberto and, and the fact that, you know, that that storyline continued from where we were last year. But then I did say, it looks a whole lot better and and visual like the the points have obviously been better he's got 6 and 6 but visually and i i can't really pinpoint when it was but just visually he's doing things and and it feels like those things are being done with a little bit more authority there's a little bit more boldness and and he's they're working a little bit more like you know how many times people have groaned? You're like, why did he just throw that puck into a defender's skates? There is no reason to make that play. Well, the reason why he does that is because it's what he's done his entire career. And most of the time, that puck gets through the defender's skates and gets onto a teammate's stick. And and I'm just seeing a little bit more of those things be converted. And it feels like as the points are starting to come and more of those things are ending up on opponent sticks and maybe... For the first time since he got here, there's a little bit more of a groove with him and Elias Lindholm. The timing on that is just amazing, by the way, as Lindholm's <laughs> likely going to get dealt. But nonetheless, uh, Lindholm and Huberdeau look like they have a little bit more chemistry. So now all of a sudden, that backhand pass at the blue line that, you know, you're like, usually that would get picked off or go into the corner. Now it's maybe ending up on Lindholm's stick. I, 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 I definitely have seen a little bit of a different Huberto over the last couple of weeks. And again, Wilsey, I don't know exactly when that, that started. It started a little bit before the points started to come, though. And, and it's good to see the points are coming as a, kind of a, as a trailer on top of that. Yeah, and I give a lot of credit to Jonathan for somehow, and it probably wasn't easy for him at times, but uh, somehow keeping his head up through his start to his Flames tenure. I mean... You go from 115 points to 55 points, that can't be easy. And then you think you're going to bounce back the next season, and uh, this season got off to a worse start than last season did. So that couldn't have been easy. But, you know, I, I do give the team some credit here, whether it be Matt Brown, who works with the guys or you know, the coaches or the players or the staff, for working with him to to help him realize where he can be better, but also for – patting him on the back once in a while and said, you know, just stick with it. Uh, the goals and the points will start to come because I know that there's been some of that going on. And he's been a great teammate too. I've heard that from a bunch of guys that even through his struggles, 
he's continued uh, to be, I don't know if cheerleader is the right word, but he's continued to cheer on his teammates and, and support them in, in any way that he can. But he's such a good guy. So I've been hoping and praying for him that uh, he could find a way out of this offensive funk. And now he's got six points in six games. He comes into this game with a three-game point streak, which equals his longest of the season. It feels like he's starting to pick up some confidence and get some of that swagger back. And those are all good things for Jonathan Huberto. I think those are some of the intangibles that he's been missing in his first season plus with the Flames. And when you're a guy who has offensive instincts like he does and you start to second-guess them, I think it can slow you down as well. So you, know, you talk about playing fast. That's moving your feet and, and skating, sure. But I also, also think it's the, the mental side of the game. If you're overthinking it, you're going to slow yourself down. And w- when you're talking about a game that's faster now than it's ever been and having to make decisions and plays in split seconds, if you wait a split second too long, a play that was there probably won't be there anymore. So he, he's worked hard to get here, and I'm hoping for him and for the Flames that he continues to have success. And it remains a, a work in progress, but the the fact that, as you have both said, the fact that he's been rewarded lately for some of those offensive plays, I, I think it's just made a, a big difference for him. You know, when I was chatting with him yesterday, I, I was asking him about the sort of frustration that went into that points drought and not being able to score a goal for as long as he went. And he kind of corrected me. He said, you know, everyone thinks it's just frustration because I'm not getting points. And and really, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, really, it's frustration that I wasn't doing enough to help the team win. And, Wilsey, when you talk about, you know, some of the the defensive work he was doing when he was with Blake Coleman and, and Michael Backlund, when you talk about the physicality, like we were watching a guy who I think wasn't sure if he had to sort of reinvent himself on the fly to be a player who could, by his own definition, do more to help his team win games. And Jonathan's always been a guy whose biggest contribution comes in offensive form. And now we're starting to see at least a smidge of that confidence that we thought he was arriving with. You know, someone pointed out on the text line, there's been a lot of hoopla about the soccer style. I, I keep calling it pass by Elias Lindholm, but the way Jonathan Huberdo then takes that kick pass and sets up Yegor Sharangovich the other night yeah. was another beautiful assist for number 10. And so I, I don't know what it means. Big picture. I, I'm not here to predict that he's going to be a point per game player in the second half, but there certainly are some encouraging signs there. So I'll add one thing quickly. Yeah. The next thing I want to see from him, I want to see him shoot the puck more. Six shots in the last five games. I know he's always been a pass-first guy, but fellas, he can shoot it. And I think he he needs to start shooting it a little bit more. Teams can cheat pass on him when he gets away from shooting the puck. And if you don't shoot the puck, chances are you're not going to score. And I think if you score, you're going to boost your confidence and and help other areas of your game uh, and, of course, help your team win games as well. So. Yeah, six shots in the last five games, not great, but uh, six points in the last six games, pretty darn good for a guy who's struggled for the first year to bit here. 
Uh, Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, Wes, Pat on this Thursday. Jens, the other question, and I I fully um, admit that this comes, uh, I ripped this off right from the gentleman sitting across from me uh, in in Wes Gilbertson. I was on on Wednesday before the Flames jetted off for Arizona. They held an optional practice, and I was uh, standing there waiting for a couple of guys to come out and talk to us, and Wes was doing his own thing with Blake Coleman, and I just happened to be in earshot of the conversation, and one of the one of the things that Wes was asking Blake about was, you know, here you are, you're leading the team, you got 17 goals, you got 32 points, like in the lead in both categories on this team, and you know, was asking him, do you feel like this is a hot streak, or do you feel like this is kind of what you are? And I was like, that's a really good line of questioning. I think that's really interesting, and it just got me thinking, and that is the um, that is the motivation for this question. So I just wanted to make sure I gave credit where it's due. Um, Blake Coleman does lead the team with 17 goals. Uh, he leads the team with points in 32. For many on our text line, he was the first half MVP in our last segment to kick off the hour. Gents, is is this type of production, has Blake Coleman now raised the bar for himself and raised the standard for himself for the rest of his tenure with the Flames? Or is this one of those, and I know it remains to be seen, but is this one of those things that you're more on the... Yeah, he's having a really good year, but this isn't the norm for him. I'm just curious where uh, you guys stand in that conversation. Okay, before I answer your question, can I ask you a question quickly? Of course. So who did you guys vote for for first half MVP? Coleman and uh, Coleman and Markstrom. I went Coleman, uh, Wes went Markstrom. Well, I like both choices, but I'm going to side with Wes on this one. Uh, most Ooh, important baby. position in the sport, and he's bounced back beautifully after a tough year, and He's been, I think, one of the better goaltenders in the league. Uh, Coleman would be a close second for me, though. As far as Blake Coleman goes, I think this is a career year. I'm not saying it can't happen again. I'm not sure I would bet on it happening again. And we're only halfway through the season. Uh, His numbers could get better. They could get worse. We'll have to wait and see. But the first 41 games, just brilliant. Uh, Offensively, of course, 17 goals, which puts him on pace for 34 which would be 12 more than he scored in any other season, 32 points, which puts him on pace for a career-high 64, which would be a whopping 26 more than he's had in any other season. And we're not talking about a spring chicken here. I know he came into the league a little bit uh, later, but he's 32 years old. He's been around for a while. And I think we had a large enough sample size to at least think we knew what Blake Coleman was. But I would say that he's broken right through that glass ceiling this season and really he's playing in a very similar role with the flames to the one that he played in with the lightning when he won back-to-back stanley cups and i hate putting numbers on lines especially on this team where you know the cadre line can be your number one line one night uh, the lindholm line another night uh, the back line another night uh, they've kind of got one uh, a b c lines as opposed to one two three lines but i think you could argue that uh, Elias Lindholm is this team's number one center and plays on the number one line, and that Nazem Kadri is this team's number two center and plays on its number two line, which would mean Michael Backlund would be this team's number three center and playing on their third line, and Blake Coleman's played on his line all season. So he played a third-line role as a member of the Lightning and played it really effectively, helping them win back-to-back Stanley Cups and playing in a similar, if not identical, role with the Flames the offensive numbers have absolutely skyrocketed. And I do think him being closer to 100% uh, 
uh, both mentally and physically after a couple of long Stanley Cup runs, one right in the middle of COVID and one right after it, uh, probably has really helped his cause this season. But his 200-foot game has always been good, and he's continued to be strong defensively this season. But offensively, fellas, I didn't see this coming. I didn't think that halfway through the season, Blake Coleman would be top three or even top five in goals or points on this team. And he leads the team in goals with 17 and is tied with Nazem Kadri for the team leading points with 32. 11 goals and 19 points in the last 16 games. I'm a big Blake Coleman fan. Fellas, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I didn't see it coming either. And I specifically remember a conversation I had with Blake in training camp, and I was sort of asking him about offensive goal setting. And he said to me then, well, I I believe I should be always in that 20-40 range. I, I believe I should score 20 goals a season and wind up with 40 points. And, and I thought that was a not a lofty goal, but you know it was a little bit ambitious based on the fact that 38 points last season was his career high in the NHL. And so the fact he's at 30, what's he at? 32? 32. Yeah. 32 at the halfway point of the season tells you that this pace has been so much different than what we've seen from him and even his best seasons. And, you know, I, I was just looking at the the numbers and, and kind of thinking of the math. If, if his goal was to be a 2040 guy, if he can just achieve that pace in the second half, if he can just put up 10 points or sorry, 10 goals and 20 points in the second half of the season. We're talking about a guy who's going to score 27 goals and wind up with 50 plus points. And while I don't think that he was being far, you know, I I don't think it was far fetched for him to aim for 20 and 40. I think even he would have told you 25 plus and 50 plus would be a hell of a season. Well, on, on, on the front of, being a 20-goal, 40-point guy, I think it is important to, to note that his last season in Jersey, um, which uh, did get cut, like, you know, prior to the uh, prior to the pandemic, and, and his last season in Jersey before the trade, he was on pace for 42 points. And the season that he had with Tampa in the bubble, the 56-game season, he was on pace for 46, point if you, 46 points if you have averaged that out over 82. Right. So I, I do think, and maybe that's where the 20-40 number comes from. Is Makes sense. He's never actually hit it before, but he has been on pace for it. And in that range, if you were to go for an 82-game season, um, so I just wanted to point that out because it is something that I uh, have, have been thinking about in that respect. So I guess I would answer my question in this way. I do believe that Blake Coleman has set a new bar for himself in terms of offense. And at the same time, I don't know if I expect him to be a 60-point player either. I, I think what those goals are, 20 a year and 40 to 50 points a year, I think that's very attainable. And here are the reasons why. Two things. Number one, because Blake has talked about how well and how much better he's felt and has not felt this good physically since being a member of the Flames. You mentioned it, Wilsey West. You, you, you've written about that and hasn't felt physically like that since before the, you know, before getting to Calgary when he was on pace for being a 40 plus point guy for a couple of seasons. And two, I, I really think that there's something to the fact that Blake took it on himself this offseason to be more of an offensive impact maker. And 
realize that there is more of an opportunity for him to be an offensive impact maker. This is not a top-heavy team. This is a team that is, when, when they're effective, it's because they've got multiple lines going. And when Blake Coleman's line is used almost as much as Elias Lindholm's line or Nazem Kadri's line, it's going to give you a little bit more opportunity to chip in offensively as well. So, you know, I, I think he has set a new bar for himself in my mind, guys. I, just, I don't think that bar is for what he's on pace for right now, Wilsey. But I do think that bar is higher than anything we've seen from him as a member of the Flames. Or statistically, in my eyes, that new bar for him going forward is, is kind of higher than what we've seen from him at any point in his career. Yeah, and he's such a pro, right? He goes about his business the same way every day. He's a great example for young players on the team, and uh, I suspect uh, they've got a lot of respect for him. Uh, He's, A, a great human being, and B, a heck of a hockey player, and C, has won two Stanley Cups, which is what uh, everybody in this league strives to do. So it's been a lot of fun to watch him play. It's been uh, great to get to know him over the last few years, and he's having just an awesome season. Leads the team in... Almost everything. And, you know, he's finally getting some power play time. And if he had been a power play regular from the start of the season, he might lead the team in power play goals as well because uh, the team leaders got two or the team leaders have two. But he leads the team in goals, even strength goals, shorthanded goals, game-winning goals, points, plus-minus, probably a few other categories that I haven't dug up. But, yeah, he's been brilliant for the Flames and, and certainly uh, top two, top three as far as uh, most valuable players on this team so far this season. I, I know we're almost out of time, but let me just put a, a kind of bow, I think, on this conversation this way. We've talked about Jonathan Huberto. We've talked about Blake Coleman. You know, when Jonathan Huberto is not producing offensively, the question is the old sort of, hey, you know, what what do you do here? What's what's your, if you're not producing, what, what are you accomplishing? And, and I do think that the, the benefit that Blake Coleman has is that 200-foot game is so strong. He knows he's playing those shutdown minutes. He knows he's going to be out when they're protecting a lead at the end of the game. He knows he's a crucial part of the penalty kill. I think that whether the offense continues at the current pace or not, Blake Coleman's game, the foundational elements of it are not the goals and assists. And I do think that that's going to make it easy for him to continue to be an important factor for the Flames even if the offense dries up just yeah. a little. That's a great point, Wes. And, and for Blake Coleman, and, and maybe this is kind of Jonathan Huberto's new mindset, it's way more about the process. If you go about the process the right way, chances are the results will be there. Maybe not as consistently for a guy like Blake Coleman as for a guy like Jonathan Huberto, but his process is always good, and the results have been great. Thank you, Wilsey. See you in a little bit. Okay, we'll see you soon. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour, and that'll wrap us up on our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport.